0: I guess that links in nicely uh, to my opening line, which says that we've probably heard the phrase before, seeing is believing. To fully accept something to be true, we need to see it with our own eyes. That makes sense, or does it? Because uh, does that phrase not simply, uh, or subliminally, if you like, suggest that we can then maybe only believe something if we see it? Which, of course, for someone who is Blind, then makes that impossible for them to believe anything at all or we think of other concepts that we're aware of like the wind or electricity we know they're real we know they're powerful but actually they're completely invisible let me tell you about freddie freddie was a truck driver it's a true story that transported animals usually cows or donkeys one year on the first of april A guy called Freddie and said, I've got a dead elephant for you to pick up in Los Angeles. Freddie didn't want to be the butt of a prank on April Fool's Day. So he told the guy, listen, if I'm going to drive all the way to Los Angeles to pick up a dead elephant, then I'm going to need to charge you double for that. And you're also going to need to pay for the tow truck uh, as well that I'm going to need. The other man agreed. Sure enough, he arrived (coughs) at Los Angeles and there was a dead elephant. Now, you're kind of waiting for a punchline, and there, there isn't. There was a dead elephant. You see, for Freddie, he wouldn't believe it until he saw it with his own eyes. Uh, Now, I've played a little bit of a competition with a few people this morning uh, to ask, in finding out that it was Janet's birthday today, and I know you mentioned, kind sir, uh, there in the middle about senior years, you are mere a youngster in comparison here to to lovely Janet. And nobody's got close to Janet's age, but Janet, your secret is safe with me. I promise you I told nobody at all that you were 98 today, so I won't. 98 today! And the reaction, I have to say, of each person that then has discovered that, no! And then they suddenly look back at Janet, think, surely that can't be true. Seeing is believing. We got the facts then from Janet herself, but at least nobody knows. (laughs) Wonderful. Happy birthday to you. In terms of seeing and believing, last week we were looking about a man who had been blind and that fitted in with our our theme for the year, as Tom uh, expressed earlier, 2020 vision, seeing God clearly. Here was a man that had been blind. Jesus then does something a bit bizarre in terms of spitting in his eyes and then says, well, do you you see now? Almost as if Jesus was maybe not expecting that to to actually fully work at first. And then he lays his hands on him again, and the man sees. Two levels of seeing. Seeing, but then seeing clearly. And of course, as you go back to Mark chapter 8, Jesus unpacks that sense of truth that we can all see, but then there's another measure of sight spiritually that he is wanting us to grasp. Well, that wasn't the only instance that Jesus healed a blind man. He healed another man in John chapter 9 who had been born blind. And we looked at this yesterday morning. If you've not read through John chapter 9, there's quite a degree of comedy uh, in the script as this man who'd been born blind receives his sight from Jesus and gets so frustrated with the question after question after question that he gets uh, bombarded with. He didn't know how he'd received his sight back. He didn't know why. But one thing he did know was this. And he says, once I was blind, But now I see. That should be the verdict of every Christian. Once I was blind, but something happened. And now I can see. What a testimony. And Jesus then, at the latter part of that passage, and we're not going to look at that today, goes on to talk about spiritual blindness and whether or not we are able to see. How clearly do we see? How clearly are we able to see God in and of our own lives? That's what we're going to be exploring together, and particularly over these uh, next 10 weeks as we look at some of the values that we hold dear uh, for ourselves as a church. If you haven't listened uh, for last week's uh, message as we were introducing that theme, I'd encourage you uh, to do that. We want to see. We really do want to grasp hold of this truth. Seeing is everything we think. Wow, it's so much better if I can see with my own eyes. And yet, Jesus said to Thomas, after this, Thomas had been doubting that Jesus had come back to life, and then Jesus appears before his his own eyes. And he says these words to Thomas He says, Thomas, you're only believing me now because you have seen me. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And we're all in that latter group. There's something extra special if we've taken that measure of step of belief. But how can that come about? You don't need me to tell you that our UK society breeds a culture of scepticism. We tend to doubt and be quite cynical before we believe. We feel we need to have proof And when we talk about proof, generally speaking, we mean scientific proof. That's one uh, reason very often why people say they don't believe in God. The phrase goes something like this, and you may well have heard it. Well, you can't give me physical proof that this God of yours exists, so I can't believe in him. There's a bit of a a kind of a tension there, and the tension is this. Because it has never been, and is uh, now, never been God's way. Listen to the words of Jesus. He said in John 6, verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that God sent. So instead of God making himself real and then we're going to believe, well, no, God has done all that God needs to do. And then the ball is in our court about are we going to take that step of faith and believe or are we not? That demands faith, doesn't it? Were faith not required, then it wouldn't be called the Christian faith, would it? It'd be called the Christian facts. But that is not what we're about as a people of God. We accept, acknowledge, and trust in the Christian faith. Hebrews chapter eleven reminds us that faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Thank you. Just checking that a couple of people were still awake? Wonderful. That's true. We need to have our eyes opened. But only God is able to do this. He reveals himself to us and he speaks to us. Primarily this is through his word, not exclusively so. But what is this word, the Bible? What is it and can we really trust it? I want to just throw out a few bits that I hope will build some confidence for each of us regardless of where we're at on our journey Or whether or not we've come here for the first time or we've got so used to this kind of stuff we say we believe it, we don't really know why or we've forgotten and it's been ages since we've read a book about it. Well, what is uh, the Bible? Well, I've got one here. This was actually uh, presented to me in my uh, first church when I came out of uh, uh, Bible college back in 1993. Always amuses me actually when churches give to somebody who's starting a ministry of Bible, as if we haven't got one. Just spent three years in Bible college. Obviously, my own church knew me well enough to think, well, we know what Roger needs more than anything else. Let's get him a Bible. Put it with the other eight or whatever. But I've used this one uh, on Sundays ever uh, ever since that time. Literally, that word, the Bible, means the library. It's from the Greek word "biblios." Uh, most people feel it's probably the first ever book. There are 66 books in total. How many in the Old Testament? Thirty-nine. How many in the New Testament? 27. Are you either new or you're very good at maths? It's quite a difficult one. 66 minus 39. That's a difficult kind of uh, number, isn't it? Uh, so the Old Testament would have been written in Hebrew, some in Aramaic, and the New Testament in Greek. It's unique, though, this book, because it's not just a book. You may well be one of those people that, as you've read it, the words have at times kind of become out in 3D. And spoken, they breathe life to us. Not always, let's not kid ourselves. Sometimes we think, well that was boring, or I just don't get it. Let's be honest. If we're not honest, and you're the one who's feeling that, you'll think that everybody else has got this wow factor. Have we got a picture of a wow. No, we haven't caught you right there, Andrea. <laughs> she wasn't expecting that one. Why'd you know neither was, oh, was I. <laughs> It's unique because this is probably one of the only books that says of itself that it's been inspired by God. We read that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And this is also what we uh, read in God's word at the end of John's gospel, John 20 verse 11, what it says about itself. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name so for us as a church believing is central to what we're about we've got a whole host of values that we'll be exploring as i mentioned over the next uh, 10 weeks or so but it starts in terms of people that want to become a part of the church with what well, do you believe in it? so what do you uh, believe now we, we you might say you might think well that's pretty obvious And my mind goes back to a particular couple that I met up with who uh, wanted to be a part uh, of the church. And and very often we'd start and some of you will remember these kind of conversations that we've had. And I just invite people to say, well, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your spiritual journey. Actually, a whole host of stuff comes out that we don't need to rattle through a particular list or a number of values because people share that naturally because of who they are as they testify to the work of God in their lives. Not this particular couple. We spent two hours on what it meant to believe and what the gospel was. Two hours. The interesting thing was when we spoke about whether or not everybody goes uh, to heaven or anything else, and we were talking that through, the man was so shocked that not everybody would go to heaven. He said, are you serious about that? He said, if what you have just told me is true, we need to be doing a lot better than we are doing in making that known. Now, that was a shock factor for somebody who was about 80 Years of age. They've been a part of a church for about sixty five years. But they hadn't actually crossed over from death to life in terms of understanding and accepting and committing themselves fully to what this gospel is all about. To what God's Word teaches. The Bible shows us how to find God's forgiveness, how He wants to be involved in our lives. How it's best. How it's best how we should deal with the big issues of life and how we can be a part of his purpose in the world. We would be lost without it. Now, I don't know if you're able to pick up on this. Now, bear in mind, I've had this since 1993. But two things are true by way of illustration here. I'm going to take this and very carefully... I wonder if it's going to hold all my weight... We stand on God's word. Don't get upset about this being an irreverent uh, thing. We don't worship the book. We worship the author of the book. But we do stand on God's word completely. But this is also true. Going alongside that, we also sit under God's word. In other words, anything that this word is going to say... For me to say, I'm accepting this fully. Whatever it says, we need to seek with God's help to put it into practice. We stand on it, but we also sit under it as well. I'm not going to sit down. You wouldn't be able to see me then at all. But hopefully you'll get the analogy in terms of the importance in its entirety of everything else in between. Different things uh, get said by different people about this book and our our faith in it. Well, it's a book of myths. Well, that's an uh, unfounded statement for starters. Uh, Loads of stuff I could quote. We go through this uh, in an alpha course, but I'm I'm just going to mention a quote of one person by the name of Josh McDowell. He wrote an excellent book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He said these words. He said, after trying to shatter the historicity of and validity of the scriptures, I had to conclude that they are indeed actually historically trustworthy. If a person discards the Bible as unreliable in this sense, then he or she must discard almost all the literature of antiquity and we'll be thinking a lot more about bibliography and stuff like that that can substantiate God's word tonight if you're free to come out or it may well be that somebody would say to you well what about science the bible is not a science book it was written pre-science for starters but there are no absurdities in it whatsoever many people are scientists and christians it's not a case of being one the other. The two don't have to conflict. One answers the question how, the other answers the question why. Again, more that we could say about that. Well, what about all the apparent contradictions you may well uh, get told? And again, we'll look at that a little bit more uh, fully uh, this evening. Apparent contradictions are just that they are apparent only. Two statements can differ without them being contradictory. We have four Gospels that depict the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke and? Well done, three of you. Brilliant. It wasn't that difficult a question. They all tell the same story, but they don't all use the same words. Some include some things, some include other uh, other stories, other accounts. It's like the different reports that you may well get on a sports uh, a fixture. There would be different reports in the paper the next day. All the people commentating on it or reporting on it were probably at the game. But they each see slightly different things. We need to read God's word in context as well. Not lifting selected verses for us to then think, right, I'm going to choose that little bit. What does this book say to us as a whole? What did it mean for the people then? And what does that therefore mean for you and I now? And when we know the answer to that, what are we going to do about it? Because there's always a choice that we have. But surely it would have changed all over the years in translation. We've got obviously a host of translations now, haven't we? If God was behind the initial inspiration, don't you think that God is big enough and good enough to be able to protect that translation accurately for us? In 1947, there was a a series of scrolls that were found in a cave in the northwest corner of the Dead Sea that brought up manuscripts 1,000 years older than any that had been previously in existence. Now, this had been what the sceptics had been waiting for. Brilliant! Now we can actually see what a massive difference there is from stuff way back then to what we have now in 1947. No doctrinal differences at all. At all. Plenty of other stuff, if you read it, that can substantiate and give us confidence for this book that we believe in. That's just a few of the most common things that people may well throw at you. Don't be frightened of that. There's nothing to actually be fearful of. God is big enough to stand up for himself. And there's been a whole host of stuff, archaeological stuff and otherwise, that can only seek to substantiate the word that we have before us. What do we believe this word teaches that therefore we're able to believe? That's what we need to look at briefly this morning. Well, in short, that God made us perfect. Don't get too carried away because we didn't kind of stay uh, that way. But we chose to disobey him. Sin coming into the world produced a barrier between ourselves and God but God himself provided a solution. Our accepting and acting on that solution removes the barrier and enables us to then become a Christian. And as such, opens the door for us to become, as part of our believing, a part maybe of this church, if that's where you're seeking to work out what it means for yourself to be a Christian. So that's a, a kind of like an overview of the whole lot. I want to break those things down into just four things before we reflect on that and what that means for ourselves. Four things that we would believe here. We would have a whole variety of different beliefs and different viewpoints on various issues. That is okay. That's okay. We don't have to agree about everything. What we need to agree upon are those things that are central. And those things that are, sent are secondary or of even less importance, very often our viewpoint is not based as closely on this as we make out, but actually our own spiritual journey. Let's realise and be gracious enough and humble enough to recognise that we've probably not got it all right. Where I'd only been to one particular church before I went to Bible college, uh, when I went there in uh, 1990, I was staggered how many people got so many things wrong. And I think after two days, I realized how arrogant I was that people who had a, a, a better grasp of scripture and certainly displayed a lot more of Jesus than I ever did may well have got some of the other stuff right and maybe I needed to reevaluate. But that wasn't as important as what we held dear and held in common. Here's the first thing. God made everything. It's not that difficult, is it? God made the law, He made the world, the universe, everything in it, including ourselves. It was perfect. So as a part of his love towards us, we were given what we call free will. Our choosing to go against God has had disastrous consequences. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 3. Always going against God has disastrous consequences. But there's one thing that we don't learn... From what we already know, it's that we don't learn from what we already know. Anybody made a mistake and gone against God this week? Right, okay, round about 80 uh, percent of you and the other 20% lying. Not too bad, we'll pray for you guys afterwards. It's interesting when you throw out a question like that, everybody's looking around and thinking, well, I know the answer, but I ain't going to be first. <laughs> we dread putting our hand up, then everybody else going, sit up! Oh, that was late, wasn't it? Okay, that's quite effective, I'm sure. Secondly, God wanted that barrier removed so that he could be reconciled with ourselves and us with him. His love craves for there to be that opportunity for forgiveness. But we worship a God who is completely just and his sense of justice rightly demands that wrong would be punished. We have his love on one hand and we have his justice on the other. And you may well have seen that as a picture before with somebody then with arms outstretched as we explore together well how can those two come together? They come together with the one whose arms were outstretched for us when he willingly gave his life for us on the cross. Jesus. That's where the Jesus bit fits in. And it's important that we know where that fits in and why that fits in in that context. For our part, we need to recognise that we are all what the Bible calls sinners. Romans 3.23, it's not a very comfortable phrase to hear, is it? It doesn't sound that trendy or up to date, but you can't really think of anything else. Maybe a lawbreaker, maybe a wrongdoer, whatever it is. The bottom line is we fall short of the standard that God expects. All of us. So we're on the same level playing field. I hope that encourages you. Particularly as many people can feel that, well, if only you knew what I'd done. And we put other people on a pedestal. Half of that is because of how other people portray themselves. They ain't as good as they make out. We don't know what goes on behind a closed door, do we? Not at all. We're all of us guilty before God. There's the need for us to repent not just to say sorry but literally to turn around and each time we feel there we fail there is a benefit in terms of us going through that process of saying god would you forgive me i want to put this right doesn't matter what our starting point is god is always interested in the right now the right now and maybe for someone here this morning the right now is what are you going to do about this opportunity to deal with the rubbish and have that fresh start from here on in Still a new year. What a great opportunity and season for us to think that through. Thirdly, God came up with a solution. Da da brilliant. He decided to take that punishment upon himself, coming into the world in human form. John one fourteen uh, mentions that, but the words becoming flesh. This Jesus died, God's only begotten Son, taking our place, taking the blame for all our wrong. I can remember somebody who was a friend of mine at school and they were banging the the gospel across to me and and I'd never been to church. I didn't really have an idea at all about what he was on about. And every now and then his final line would be, but don't you understand that Jesus died for you? No, no, I didn't get it at all. I think I had a vague idea that there was somebody called Jesus and, and he kind of had a miserable end on a cross. I had no idea of any of the spiritual ramifications of that at all we need to understand that it was through choice that this jesus was willing to go there but death could not hold him we don't worship a dead savior we worship one who physically rose thus proving his own divinity too this is what the bible says romans 10 verse 9 if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That sense of speaking out that which we believe, but internally accepting and believing what God has done by faith in raising Jesus, then you will be saved. His guarantee. Forgiveness is then possible because Of Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 reminds us salvation is found in no one else. Whole host of self-help books out there. Whole host of different ideologies, worldviews, and new age perspectives about how we might find inner peace or contentment or work our way to finding where God is. Waste of time. Salvation is found in In Christ alone. some song that we're going to be closing our service with. We either accept that or we don't. When Peter preached his first ever sermon. And the people were cut to the heart. About what they'd actually done with this Jesus. And there'd been a wake up call. In terms of that conscience prick. They said well what should we do? And the response they got from Peter was this. Repent and be baptised. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Sin. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Belief is what it was all about. That was where it started. That led on to a repentance and then baptism. For all to be enabled to see God more clearly. But we've got a choice. We've always got a choice. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin... Is death. Wages are stuff that we earn. Or what we deserve through what we've done. And from God's perspective. That's death. And we don't just mean somebody snuffing it physically at the end of their life. The context for that word death is with capital D. Complete separation from God forever. Thankfully that verse in Romans 6.23 doesn't end there. It goes on to say. But. And it's one of those positive buts. The gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. If you've got a gift that you can think about that you received or that you gave at Christmas time, the person who gave the gift made that choice to give the gift. But as the recipient of that gift, you had a choice, did you not? as to whether you received it and opened it and enjoyed it or thought, wow, another pair of socks or whether or not you chose to not receive it if you chose to leave it in the wrapper or put it to one side or give it to somebody else whose fault is it to not benefit from what that gift is? Hello? Whose fault is it? Is it the giver's fault? Or is it the person who is receiving that gift? It is therefore not God's fault if people have an understanding of what His gift is and say, I'll put it over there. I'll wait until the 11th hour. Or maybe that's for somebody else, but not me. If they end up then going the wrong way, that is not God's fault. He's done everything that He needed to do. We all have a choice. And as you maybe seek to share your faith from time to time with people, uh, don't just go on the easy bits. Do let them know that there is a choice. Respect their choice. Don't try and push them into believing anything. That's going to be counterproductive. But people do need to know that there is a choice. And there's a consequence of choice. We heard the children read earlier from John chapter 1 verse 12. To all who received him. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Wow. Wow. If you have therefore received this, chi- this, 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 this gift from God. receive this Jesus. You are a child of God. Now just let that kind of sink in a little bit. Don't just take it as a theory from a verse that you learnt at Sunday school. You're a child of the King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Because he's chosen to open your eyes. Now any one of us that says but I've got a low self esteem and I think I'm worth nothing what does that say of how much we see clearly about who we really are in terms of the gift that God has given that we then say that we've received and accepted there's a sense to be reawoken and have that sight made more clear is there not by God's Holy Spirit about how indeed we are indeed so special. That is God's desire. We know it's God's desire for us to come to him, to be forgiven. God's desire is that none should perish. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. But to those who choose to not receive God's gift, there is no salvation. The Bible is very clear about this. We tend to read John 3, chap- uh, verse 16. and Most of you, I dare say, would know that verse. And then we stop there. A couple verses on, there's quite a challenge. This is what uh, we read in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Wow. There is a huge consequence. If you're here for the first time or you're here on a journey and you're wanting to find a place that's kind of friendly and all of that stuff, we could do all the all the touchy-feely friendliness and give you a nice warm smile. I think Dorcas was on the door this morning welcoming. Can you have received a better welcome than the smile of Dorcas? Amazing welcome she always gives with that beaming grin of hers. There's a choice that you need to make. Take that seriously. About the cost of refusing to believe that the one God sent. It's easy to come up with reasons as to why we wouldn't believe, isn't it? I threw a few of those in earlier on. And I I had kind of three years of doing that from the age of 16 to 19. I came up with all sorts of excuses, reasons, reasons, Very rational reasons, excuses. Bottom line, for me, pride. That's true for a lot of men. I want to be in charge of my life, thank you very much. This whole thing of actually sitting under the word of God, well, can we do that kind of by choice? So every now and then, you know, I could do that. But ultimately, I want to be in charge of my life and I want to call the shots. I had to have some stuff go pretty badly wrong in my life to realise that wasn't going to ever be the way. And it was painful, but I'm grateful to God for it. Maybe for some of us, our past experiences can prevent us from taking that step. Maybe you've been let down by another Christian. Can I just tell you, There's probably nobody here who's not been let down by another Christian. Now that's a bit of a bad advert for church, isn't it? But I'm just being honest. I could be more honest if you like. I've been more broken by Christians than from people outside the church. But isn't that the same probably for most of us? Just because... We have been hurt or let down by another human being. Why throw the baby out with the bathwater, as the phrase goes? It may well be, and I had a conversation with uh, uh, somebody that stayed with us uh, for uh, respite care with foster care, as many of you uh, know. And, um, and the, the girl in question, massively into horses, and they were telling me about uh, an example of. Um, of, of a horse I'm not into the horsey uh, stuff other people would describe this in a lot more eloquent horsey terms but just kind of run with me particular horse who kind of like kicked up chucked him off and was lashing out and kind of like horse hoof in the face stuff is not a bunch of laughs I'm sure you kind of get that to actually conclude from that that all horses are bad you think well that's just ridiculous Or put it another way, maybe you heard a piece of music for the first time and that first piece of music that you ever heard was something classical and you thought, that sounds naff. To conclude that music was therefore all bad would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Because we know there's also rock and roll and ska and all that kind of other stuff. And you're going to have your... And I know you can chat about that. And Some of you are going to think, how dare you speak like that about classical music. It could be another sort. We know how ridiculous it is to chuck the baby out with the bathwater. What we need to base our decision upon is what this book says. Whose author was the Holy Spirit of God. This Lord Jesus is the one who is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is not going to be the one who's going to let you down. When you make a decision on him, don't base it on how our experience have or haven't been or how people can or can't be. I have to say that alongside the negative experience, the best experiences I've had through people have been those who are Christians. God is in us, but we're not perfect people. We ain't there yet. We're on a journey. So, is this all uh, that we mean about our journey? I mentioned four things. Yeah, we've got those four things up there. That's what we mean, those four things, probably, by the gospel, the good news. That's the message that we would seek to profess. This is what it means in terms of step one for our being able to see God clearly. And certainly no one would be able to be a part of this church without embracing those fundamental truths. Is that all to our believing? No. Let me leave you with this. It's a great place to start and it paves uh, the way for that fresh start. And for someone it could well be a fresh start this morning. But the word believing isn't just in our heads. Believing in, in, in terms of what God's word teaches is an active word. It's an active word. So we should want this word to be our guidebook to life. The psalmist said in Psalm 25, guide me in your truth and teach me. He's only proclaiming that because he's wanting to then put it into practice. James is a little bit more blunt and he says in chapter 1 verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it." Says, Do what it says and that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? Isn't that the demonstration as to whether or not we are truly following Jesus Christ or not? When well, we know what this word says and then choose whether or not we're going to believe it and follow it. Believe God's promises. Come to his word believing actively and then with the Holy Spirit's help. Then let's aim to live out what it means to be a believer. That step, that taking on board that afresh is probably step one for each and every one of us, me included, in our seeing God clearly. Bruce used a great illustration in Cafe Church uh, uh, yesterday. Uh, that I'm going to um, close with. He, he had uh, Jasmine, his daughter, to hold up uh, a book by the door. The rest of us were sat in the far corner uh, of the cafe. And he said, what's Jasmine uh, uh, holding? I thought, I can only just see Jasmine. I don't know about what she's holding. And somebody said, oh, well, it's a book. And they were right, it was a book. And then, bit by bit, the closer then that Jasmine got to those other groups of people, oh, it's a book with words on it. or oh, is it? Is it? Uh, uh, is it the Bible? Because somebody could then see a big number that was maybe a chapter heading, and I think it was Glen or somebody that was a little bit closer. They could then read one of the lines. I couldn't. I was too far away. The closer we get to something, the clearer that becomes. It's no different with God. But we have a choice in putting ourselves in a place whereby we might indeed draw ourselves closer to him or stay distant. The closer we seek to come to him, the clearer he will be. This book that God by his grace has left us with is a brilliant means for us to have that truth facilitated for us and on our behalf. May God grant us that he will indeed speak to us and will act on what we've heard. Let's pray. And then we'll respond together. Father God, for many of us uh, who've been a part of church life uh, for years, we maybe have heard this morning familiar verses and thought, yeah, I know all of that. And yet maybe for some of us, and I include myself in that, very often there are times where we just feel on the starting blocks still, We want to see you more clearly, yet we feel kind of stuck where we are. God, grant us a love for your word. Enable us to choose decisions that build this book in to become a part of our daily practice. That we might come before it and ask you to speak to us through it. Bring us to that place of believing If we've never fully made that decision to follow you. May that be today. And wherever we are. Wherever we're at on our journey. God we ask that you'd help us to see you more clearly. Because the clearer we see you. The clearer others will have that opportunity. Of capturing something of who you are. Maybe even. Through me. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.